Hello and welcome to the One Football Premier League podcast. Liverpool keep the title race alive. Arsenal crumble in the Champions League chase. There's nervy times at the bottom, plus much more. As today, joining me, Matt Froelich, is Dan Burke. Hello, hello. I think we should let everyone know off the bat that there's been a couple of illnesses um, for myself and yourself and lots of footballing action. So we're coming at you on Wednesday afternoon. Just so everyone knows, because there's been lots of football and lots of interesting games that have taken place. And um, it means that mm. there's been a few days have elapsed since that stunning one-all draw between Wolves and Norwich. And um, myself <laughs> myself and Dan have had time to process it. And uh, oh, I've only just calmed <laughs> yeah. down. <laughs> we'll delve into the talking points. Uh, no, maybe not this time. Uh, but we will, <laughs> what we will look at is the latest round of results and what it means for all the interesting points. So we'll start with the title race, of course, including last night's fixture. Um, Dan, on a scale of one to excited, how excited were you when Southampton took the lead? I was pretty excited to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Cause I I'd kind of I'd kind of earmarked this game, especially after the the FA Cup final at the weekend, you know, the uh the energy sapping game that, that was for Liverpool, obviously getting a couple of injuries as well. I'd looked at this one and thought, hmm, maybe, maybe going to Southampton the way on Tuesday night is, is is a suboptimal fixture for them to have and maybe they might slip up here and maybe City might be crowned champions by surprise on on Tuesday evening. And then when Southampton went one one nil up, I was like, Oh, it's happening, this is it, it's it's on. And I think was that Southampton's only shot of the game in the end? I think so, I think yeah. they could barely got out of their own penalty box after that, really, did they? And, and Liverpool's much-changed team were, were really good and, and really came back and won the game and, and were really impressive. And uh, we go to the final day. So, yeah, it's going to be uh, an exciting one for the neutral. I'm pretty nervous about it, to be honest, but uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, yeah, actually, Klopp decided, you mentioned there the energy sapping, to field a much-changed squad after he's complaining again about playing Saturday, Tuesday even though that's like the normal Champions League, Premier League schedule, mm. um, which is a bit weird. Was he playing mind games, knowing full well that he had the quality and depth? Possibly, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people looked at his team selection and thought it was a bit of a risk and, and perhaps a bit of an unnecessary risk. You know, if it had gone wrong for them, you, you would kind of thought, well, what, what have you done there, Jürgen? You know, the, the title race is, is still on. It's not like, you know, time to throw the towel in just yet. I think he definitely had a point uh, pre-match where he was saying, like, why couldn't we have just played this game on a Thursday? Because there's other Premier League games on Thursday night where it doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense, really. Um, but then, you know, there would have been a three-day three, three, uh, three day gap between the, the that game and the end of the season then. So... And I think it does just show what what quality Liverpool have got in depth. You know, uh, Minamino scoring the goal. Um, Curtis Jones was really good. I thought Harvey Elliott played well. You know, he's he's been out injured this season. You've got Firmino. You've got Jota. You've got Konate and Matip in central defence. Um, Samaikas got a nice little reward for scoring the winning penalty at the weekend. I mean, that's a that's a really decent team. It's not a team that if you put that out every week you would win the title. But for the odd game here and there, it just shows what what Liverpool can do even with a rotated team. So. It was a it was a calculated gamble from Klopp, I think. Yeah, I think it's one of them where he had to pick a poor side, not poor side, a change side. Sorry, just yeah. to make a point. Yeah, because he he could have complained about that and then just suddenly have money and Salah and everyone playing. Yeah, but also I think he probably proved a point that if they lost, he'd be like, "I told you, mm. I told you." It was yeah, difficult. and now now they won and they'll, they'll be all fresh for Sunday now. So yeah. Work well, yeah, exactly. But I think they will have one eye as well because it seems to be a bit defeated um, that Man City will win the league. They might have one eye on the Champions League. Yeah, I mean, it's what six days after that final game of the season. You wouldn't want to be relying on City dropping points, really, would you? You know, it might happen on on Sunday, but 
you would you would suspect probably not. So I think I think he's right yeah. to be sort of a bit uh, a bit despondent about it at this point. But they've done as good as they possibly could have been expected to do, haven't they, Liverpool? You know, at one point City were were so far ahead at, at the top of the league that it looked like it was it was done and dusted. And Liverpool did have a few games in hand. They've gone on such an incredible run and pushed it all the way. Might still win the league on the last day of the season. Like I said, it's unlikely, but they've they've played their part thoroughly and can be really pleased with themselves. I think. Uh, and talking of dropping points, that is exactly what Manchester City did. Mm. Uh, this was a bit of a scary one. Um, <laughs> considering the defensive injuries, though, do you think it was a good point? I mean, considering they were 2-0 down at half-time, it was definitely a good point yeah. as well. And, <laughs> and and should have been three points, really. You know, if Mara scores the penalty, then then that's the title race pretty much done. And and uh, and that was a bit bit annoying from City's point of view that he, he couldn't put that put that one away. But at half-time of this game, I would have... At half-time of this game, I was thinking... If we can just get a consolation goal, that will make the goal difference a little bit more preferable in City's favour. You know, it, it might make a huge difference, just one goal. I, I didn't see us getting back into it. Our, our record from coming from 2-0 down in, in the entire history of the Premier League is, is awful. And our record from coming behind in games isn't very good either. So I was very sceptical. Um, you know, they, they'd not played very well in the first half either. City, they were they were coming up against a, a really low defensive block from West Ham and just finding no way through really and, and, and struggling to create openings. And I just thought, we are not getting back into this game. This is a disaster. This is where it all falls apart. And then, yeah, that, that Grealish goal at the start of the second half was um, was crucial really. That that really gave City the impetus to go and get the goal. Got a bit of luck with the uh, the Soufal own goal. Um yeah, and then yeah, like I said, they they could have could have nicked all three points, and hopefully they won't come back to to regret that. How how have you rated Grealish's first season actually in a Manchester City shirt? I know he's obviously going to have ridiculous expectations on him with a hundred million pound mm. transfer. I feel like it's a very um, we were talking earlier about Twitter and some of the nonsense that goes on there. <laughs> I feel like it's a very easy thing to look at is. What everyone looks at these days and goals and assists. And if you combine that with the fact it cost 100 million, you'd instantly say he's been poor. But I don't quite think that's the case. No, it's, it's been pretty underwhelming considering the amount of money that was spent on him. You know, you, you expect a certain level of, of quality for that money, don't you, of course? And uh, you expect a lot of goals and assists. And uh, he hasn't chipped in with many. He's got six goals in all competitions, four assists. Not great, really. I think he does do a lot of work that goes a bit under the radar, that's kind of a bit unseen. Um, he, he ties things together nicely, rarely loses the ball, um, keeps things kind of ticking over and 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 enable City to kind of build into those into those spaces in the final third, really. I think he's going to be better this season because he's been, uh, the past few weeks, he's been improving sort of week by week. He was really good against Newcastle in the, the 5-0 the other week. I thought he was probably City's best player against against West Ham as well, actually. Um, you know, got the goal, but also was, was really good to barely weighted the ball. So I'm expecting him to kick on a bit next season and be be better. And ha- having had that period, period of adaptation where he's learned how to play for, Guardiola and, and playing the City team and it's not, you know, perhaps l- losing some of the bad habits that he might have picked up during his time at Aston Villa. I think he was a bit more of a kind of unpredictable, um, what's the word I'm looking for? More of a sort of like uh, instinctive player for Aston Villa perhaps, whereas you can't really be instinctive for City. You have to kind of get into the rhythm of, 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 way thing, of the way things are played and yeah, I, th- I think he'll be better. But it has been a bit of an underwhelming season, but it's not like a major worry really. It's just one of those. It's... These things take, take For time. For me, I think it's always going to be difficult going into that Pep Guardiola system because you're not going to play under many managers who are similar mm, to him. Yeah. But once he gets into that role and he fully understands what Guardiola expects, he can maybe sprinkle in a few bits of instinctiveness or a yeah. bit more Jack Grealish style uh, next season, sort of 
as and where he knows he can take risks and not really um, go against what Guardiola is saying. Yeah. It's not a hundred million. You're not paying a hundred million for one season. Is that is the, exactly yeah, the exactly kind of line, yeah. a line I'd put under it? Yeah. Um, as for the defensive issues, though, at City, Jared Bowen scored twice, exposing that high line in defence. Is that something that worries you, like a bit of a floor in City style? Well, it is when you've got 37 year old Fernandinho playing there, yeah, because you know <laughs> e- even at, even at his uh, at his best when he was a, a spring chicken, he. Uh, he, he he's, ne- he's never been a centre back really. He, he just just doesn't have that kind of positional awareness to play there. He, he has filled in there from time to time, but it's just not his position. And and you saw that he got caught out. Uh, I mean, it wasn't all his fault. I think that Zinchenko was quite poor on, on both goals against West Ham. And uh, you know, in terms of holding the line, it wasn't wasn't very impressive. And I'm hoping that Nathan Ake will be fit for the Villa game at the weekend at least so that he can play alongside Laporte. Uh, it's not ideal having two left-footed centre-backs playing alongside each other, but Ake is just a centre-back and he's got a bit more recovery pace than Fernandinho and a bit more positional awareness at this point. The dream would be that maybe Ruben Diaz or John Stones are fit and maybe Kyle Walker might be fit, but there's no talk of that being the case. The talk is that they're all out for the for the season. So um, the back four is probably going to be Cancelo, Laporte, Ake and Zinchenko. And uh, hopefully that will be enough for City, you know, because they've, they're have they coming up against Ollie Watkins and Danny Ings, who, you know, I don't think Villa are in, are in good form and have had a very good season, but those two can cause... Uh, can cause problems to, to defensive with the high line. They, they caused a few problems to Liverpool a couple of weeks ago, had a couple, had a few chances. So that could be uh, Villa's chance of, of of doing Liverpool a massive favour on, on Sunday. You know, what's funny is that you mentioned two left-footed centre-backs not being able to play together. I think we've made it this far in football with two right-footed centre-backs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I, I agree with you. Something seems weird. It just seems it. a bit off, doesn't it? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why. It just doesn't look right. Yeah. I feel like it's probably given birth to a lot of great uh, centre-backs who are brilliantly using their left foot. I remember John Terry's left foot was ridiculous. I know he's predominantly right-footed, but he used to be able to ping a ball with his left peg like mad. Um, and on top of this as well, we can't not talk about the City-West Ham game without talking about Mark Noble, who appeared for the final time in front of a home crowd uh, before he retires. Almost 550 games for West Ham in 18 years. Um, where do you stand on, on him and his career? Do you think he could have played higher or was his was his loyalty out of choice or necessity? I would say necessity, really. I mean, it's probably a little bit of both, isn't it? I think he's mm. been a decent enough player. You know, he's been a Premier League quality player throughout his entire career, which is, you know, you can't really ask for much more than that. He's been very consistent. He's been very reliable for West Ham. Great leader in the dressing room. You know, he lo- he loves the club. Great man to have around the club. And, the- and I think they'll miss him in that regard. He's never been a spectacular player. I think he's had his moments. You know, he scored the odd long ranger. He's good from the penalty spot and that kind of thing. But he- he's never been, you know, a You'd never say, oh, Mark Noble, what a top player he is. I hope Arsenal or Tottenham or, you know, Chelsea or City or whatever go for him. You know, that has never been on the agenda at all, has it? And I guess it's kind of a bit of a shame that he didn't get an England cap, but you ask yourself, did did he deserve one? I mean, I saw a tweet at the weekend where someone was like, Sven would have given Noble an England cap if he'd had the chance. Like, and he probably would have done, wouldn't he? I think maybe the the managers that, that that were in charge of England during the sort of peak of Noble's career meant that he never really got one. And, you know, some, some really random players got, got England caps over the years, didn't they? Michael Ricketts and, uh, and people like that. So 
maybe he can consider himself a little bit unfortunate, but I think he'll look back at, on a, a career to be really proud of. I, I think he's very unlucky. Firstly, he you know he came through at the time where the likes of Gerard and Lampard were completely yeah. dominating the scene, uh, which is unfortunate. But also, these days there seems to be a bit of a change in culture where lots of players have sort of six months good run of form and get given a cap, yeah. even if it's just for the fact that you know it's a good experience and you get one cap and you get to play at Wembley in a friendly against I don't know Ivory Coast or something. Like it's really, it, I think it's a bit harsh on Martin Noble. I feel like. He came through at a tougher period to earn England caps and definitely would have got one today. Mm. Uh, we'll move on, though, from the title race. Um, actually, no, we'll get your predictions just before we leave the title <laughs> race. Do you think City have, City have got three points in the bag against Aston Villa? Confident? I, I am. I have to be confident, haven't I? At any other point of the season, you would expect City to beat Aston Villa at home. And, uh, you yeah. know, Aston Villa are on the beach, essentially. You know, the season is over. The, the, the Gerard factor is a factor that we have to be concerned about, I suppose. But how that will actually affect Villa's players. I don't know whether they're going to be extra fired up to win the game for an ex-Liverpool legend. It doesn't really work like that usually, does it? So Yeah, it makes much sense. <laughs> yeah, City have had seven days to prepare for the game. Um, hopefully, you know, get one or two players back from injury. They're at home in front of their own crowd. There's going to be an amazing atmosphere and hopefully they just go out and, and, and steamroller Aston Villa. But it could be one of those nervy games where Villa go up, go a goal up and, and everyone's panicking. You know, psychology is going to play a huge factor in this game. And I think Liverpool, kind of the pressure's off for them. Like, you know, they've they've more or less kissed goodbye to the, to the league title. So they go to Anfield on the last day, they, they play Wolves. They'll probably beat them, um, I would imagine. And that kind of psychological factor doesn't really come into play for Liverpool in the same way that it does for City, I don't think. So it could go it could go horribly wrong for City on the last day. I don't think it will. I'm confident that it won't, but I'm kind of probably about 90% certain that they're going to win. It, it sounds very cliche, but an early goal is key. Yeah. Absolutely for Manchester yeah, yeah. City. Uh, right, we'll move on to the Champions League race where Arsenal have uh, shot themselves in the foot, I think we, we would describe mm. it as after a 3-0 loss to Spurs in the North London derby. A 2-0 loss to Newcastle. Um, was this a case of being mentally thrown off after that North London derby defeat? Or, as some are, uh, as some are saying, or um, is it just a case of the second of two tough away games in the space of four days? It's a bit of both, isn't it? I mean, they were they were really poor in the in the North London derby, and I don't think Arteta's reaction to the refereeing decisions, which uh, you know I thought were fair enough, to be honest with you, I thought even the penalty yeah. was, was kind of fair enough. I'm sure you probably agree with me on that. And, and I, th- I think uh, it was just it was. So I just thought it was stupid from from Rob Holding for the red card. Was it Cedric on the penalty? Yeah, yeah. I just just don't give the referee a decision. If you disagree with it because it's too soft, fair enough, I understand that. But don't give the referee a decision in the first place and you won't have anything stupid to complain about. But they did from, you know, poor play. But anyway, yeah. go on, sorry. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think Arteta's reaction to it was was a bit disappointing, really, because mm. his team were well beaten, weren't they, on the day? And, and obviously the red card helped. And, and obviously that you've seen those penalties not given. So I can understand why he was a bit annoyed. But to yeah. kind of like take no accountability for it as a team, as a manager whatsoever, and almost just blame it all on the referee and kind of say, you know, throw your hands up and say, oh, what can we be expected to do about this? It's just a bit like, that's not really fair, Mikel. And and their form has been really poor recently. Was it six out of, they've lost six of the last 11 games, I think it is, or something like that. I think so, yeah. It's been, a, it's been a real collapse. And they've, they've had such a weird season, Arsenal, where they started the season with three defeats. People were saying they were going to, you know, be relegation candidates. Then, 
they went on a, a really good run of form. Then they hit a really rough patch of form, then a really good run of form, and now a really rough patch of form again. They've just been really inconsistent, which is to be expected given they're a young team. You know, I think for them to get Champions League would have been a pretty phenomenal achievement, really. And perhaps speaks a little bit to the the, the kind of lack of quality of, of the teams around them as well. Um, and you wonder whether they're going to get this chance again. And yeah, I, I think as soon as they lost against Spurs, it was pretty obvious they were going to lose against Newcastle. And, and Newcastle were really, were really good, but Arsenal were really, really bad in this game on uh, on Monday night. Like really bad, you know, I'd say probably nine of the 11 players had, had proper stinkers really. And uh, it's it's looking you know, extremely unlikely that Arsenal are going to get top four now and, and you know, finishing top yeah. six is, is is still kind of decent enough, I think, but I think they have to look at themselves and what's gone wrong and not just look at external factors like refereeing decisions and things like that. I think it's been um, it's been a bit of a capitulation for Arsenal and it, and it was avoidable. Yeah, I credit Xhaka said after the game, you need to have balls to come here and play. Mm-hmm. It's one of the most important games for us. Uh who was he directing that at? Because I, I was thinking, you're either directing it at a certain player, which we can discuss now, <laughs> uh, or if it's nobody in particular, it's just one of those generic angry comments that, that players say after games, you know, we need to be brave, we need to keep going, that sort of stuff. Um, and I think he only said it because he had a half-decent game for Arsenal. Yeah. Because you don't come out and say that if you've been shit. Yeah. You just set yourself up for abuse. Exactly. It's a bit rich coming from him, isn't it? Because he is a good player and he has been a good player for (laughs) Arsenal. But, you know, there's been times when he's let Arsenal down with some daft, you know, decisions, getting getting himself sent off or stupid mistakes and things like that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I had a a fallen out with the fans at times and and stuff like that. I don't know who he is directing that at in particular. You know, it is a young team. He's one of the older players in in a very young team. Um, I don't think it's fair. I mean, a lot of this stuff, it's the same with the, the Arteta thing, like, you know, getting someone in front of a microphone immediately after di- a disappointing defeat like that. And they're probably going to react in a way that they might not have done if they had a little, a little bit more time to calm down and think about things. It's, you know, mm. the emotions are running high. I think it's a bit harsh for Xhaka to throw his young teammates under the bus like that, even though he probably did have a point that, you know, they're just, they are a little bit mentally weak and, and they don't really have the, have the balls for a challenge like this, you know, they have, they have let it slip and, and it is really disappointing from their point of view. But yeah, it is, it's a bit like, come on, Granite, you must admit that you've, uh, you've been in this position before. You've, you've not had a perfect career yeah. yourself. Um, and if you are going to come up in front of the media, in front of the microphones and say that, then, you know, if you really want to show some balls, name some names and say, who do you exactly mean? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, it's, Otherwise, I don't really see what the point of it is. It's all right to be like very honest and things like that, but like, what does it really achieve? That, that's the thing. I saw a lot of people online saying that they appreciated his honesty and it wasn't just a generic football argument. But I don't quite know what that really achieves. Like if that was said in the dressing room where you could name names and the microphones you know, and the cameras are put away, yeah, I think that would probably have more of an effect than the, all the players seeing on TV him saying that. Because after you said that, you've then got to go and say it to their face. Yeah. You can't just say it on TV and then when someone asks you about it in the dressing room, him him saying, oh, no one in particular, you know, yeah. I'm not going to name names. Like you've, you've got to. And I think as well, when it comes from someone like him with the past that he's had, maybe it's not the greatest. Look, I, I thought he was all right, but he was by no means that good that he yeah. could call out the rest of his team. Yeah. If you're in that um, dressing room as a young Arsenal player and you're thinking, Granite Jack is my role model. That's who I'm supposed to be looking up yeah. to. Like it's not really, he's a decent player, isn't he? Who's had a decent career, but he's not yeah, like... Yeah. You know, he's, he's he's not like Jordan Henderson or something like that. He, yeah, yeah, it's exactly. kind of like people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones, really, should they? Yeah. 
Um, but as bad as Arsenal were, we do give some credit to Newcastle who ended their home campaign on a high. Um, what did you make of their performance? I think this Joel Linton move especially has been a masterstroke. He's been incredible. Yeah, very, very, very good. Um, I mean, I think the last couple of games prior to this, they lost 1-0 at home to Liverpool and 5-0 away at City were then pretty brought back down to earth with a bit of a thud, I guess, having, you know, got a, a, a decent run of form before that. And this was then maybe being elevated back up into the air a little bit, you know, saying what you will about Arsenal, they are a decent team. It's not an easy game playing against Arsenal and, and it kind of is a, a decent barometer of where Newcastle are at as a team that they can beat an Arsenal team with with those players so comprehensively. I think Newcastle are going to be looking at sort of top 10 as, a, as their target next year, maybe top eight even. And this performance, which was a dominant performance, really nice football being played, suggests that they've got that you know, that's in their wheelhouse, especially if they can bring in a few more players uh, over the summer. Dropping Joel Linton into midfield has been a masterstroke from, from from Eddie Howe, definitely. I think Newcastle fans would probably nominate Joel Linton as their player of the year, which would have seemed, you know, unthinkable a year ago, wouldn't it? When he was he was the laughing stock of the Premier League, essentially. Um, Gimaraes is superb, has been a superb signing for them. They've got Callum Wilson back now. Um, I think they missed him in recent weeks. I think he's, he's a better player for them than, than Chris Wood, even though Chris Wood has, has done fairly decent. So there's obviously room for improvement in that team, but they're, they're on the right track. They're playing really nice football. They've got a manager who who seems to, to know what he's doing. And uh, I fancy them for to have a, a decent uh, crack at the top 10 next season. Absolutely. I think the Joel Linton thing is very good, but also this puts... Uh this sort of puts our theory of teams being on the beach to absolute shame <laughs> because they could exactly, they could definitely be on the beach, but they're not. They're out there winning football matches and credit to them. Uh, the victory and obviously the defeat for Arsenal means they are now two points behind Spurs after their one win versus Burnley. Uh, we'll start with the obvious one. Was it a penalty <laughs> in, your, in your eyes, Dan? It was a harsh penalty, but I think it was a penalty. Yeah, I think his arm yeah. is his arm is out in a unnatural position, and it hits his arm, and it hits his arm from fairly close by. But it's just the law is a bit of an ass in that regard, and yeah, I, yeah. I, I couldn't understand why that was given. Yeah, the thing is, if his arm was by his side and it flicks off his arm, I think no way is that a penalty. Mm. But when it's out so wide, yeah. Again, like I said with the Arsenal ones, the, the game before against Spurs, don't give the referee a decision. Don't put your arm horizontal in the box. Like you're asking yeah. for trouble. Yeah, I, I saw people complaining yeah. about the fact that they kind of like, it was one of those where it looked a bit worse when the replay slowed down. And mm. you, that, that's more the case with like tackles and stuff, isn't it? That people complain about that. Yeah. I think with handballs, it's like, well, you kind of have to slow it down to just make sure that it has hit his hand. And in this case, it did hit his forearm, didn't it? So... Yeah, I felt sorry for Ashley Barnes, but I thought it was a penalty personally. Yeah, um, and this means that combined with the other results, Spurs need just a point away at Norwich. I've seen some calling it the ultimate test to see if Spurs <laughs> have shaken their Spursy mentality and Antonio Conte has instilled some toughness into the squad. Um, do you envision a catastrophe for Spurs and failing to pick up at least one point at Imagine. Road? You'd have to fold the club, I think, oh, if this, if this yeah, happened, yeah. wouldn't you? If they fucked this I'm up now, yeah. I'm absolutely panicking. <laughs> I, I, I would say, like, you're confident. No, no, no. I, I think Spurs' form recently has been has been um, pretty good. Had some really strong results. And I think I would like to think, anyway, especially looking at Norwich's home form, where teams have been putting three, four, five past them, that... At least a point um, will be available for Spurs in that game, and they'll be back into the top four. And it's, it, I think, 
There was a lot of rumours coming out of the club that eh, it's not that important whether they get top four. They're planning for the summer. Their transfer activity, Antonio Conte staying, would still all happen if they finish fifth. But I think top four is absolutely massive for the pull of the club um, to try mm. and get in some big players um, um, for sure. And, and definitely, I, I wouldn't say that Conte would definitely leave, but certainly the, the the words coming out of his mouth recently is that he wants to stay and build something with Spurs. Yeah. Well, I think it's it's massive in kind of the same way that it would have been massive for Arsenal in that it might be a lot harder yeah. to get top four next season. It's kind of felt like a few teams have been kind of stumbling around the top four spot uh, over the last few weeks and, and nobody kind of really wants it. And and Spurs have, have just have just kind of kept the nerve and, and, kept, and got enough form together to, to clinch it. You know, it looks like they have anyway. Um, whereas next season, you would imagine maybe Man United might be a bit more involved in it. Uh, that could make things difficult. Um, so... I think getting top four this this season, getting that little ca- cash injection, getting in the Champions League, the the players that you can attract is, is normally a different caliber of player. Um, I, th- I think it will uh, it will be it'll be really good for Spurs, and I think it will definitely mean that Conte won't leave. Um, not that there was a huge danger of that in any way. I don't think really, but yeah, yeah, I think uh, considering at one point Conte was saying there was a one percent chance of Spurs getting top four, then it's been it's been quite the turnaround, hasn't it? In the in, in the past sort of five five or six weeks. I think we Spurs fans just need to learn to live with a bit of craziness from Conte. <laughs> just a bit of argumentative sort of behaviour. Maybe don't listen to everything he says after a game. Take it with a pinch of salt. Uh, yeah. But it does mean that Arsenal are finishing fifth if Spurs can get that point at Carroll Road. Ahead of Manchester United, the Europa League race um, sees United needing uh, to match, sorry, to match West Ham's score or just win it themselves on the final day to guarantee sixth place uh, as they head to Crystal Palace. I was thinking it's very good that they're away at Crystal Palace because after that 4-0 defeat to Brighton, to sort of come home and face your <laughs> crowd and sort of own up to what you've done, they'll just want the season to end. So being away from home might actually suit them. Yeah. Uh, can you see them getting the result at, at Crystal Palace? Because West Ham do actually travel to Brighton. I would imagine so, yeah. I mean, it's been it's been uh, 11 days already since United's last game, which is really weird, isn't it? Yeah, it's almost like they, they don't exist anymore. Like I'd sort of forgotten about them. Um, so maybe, I don't know whether that is going to be an issue in terms of preparation, you know, maybe the, the sort of lack of a bit of rhythm that they might need. And I think Crystal Palace will want to finish the season on a high for, for in front of their home fans. And, you know, Selhurst Park can be a really good atmosphere and, and that kind of thing. And it's not the easiest place in the Premier League to go. You know, City dropped points there this season. So it's by no means a guarantee that United will get get that the, the, the result they need and especially the form they've been in this season. You know, they've been really poor at times. So I don't know, it, it could be an interesting one this. Um, but I would imagine, I think the fact that Eric Ten Hag has already started working at United now, basically, he's not, there was some rumour earlier this week that that he was going to be in charge for the Crystal Palace game, but I don't think that's true, is it? I don't think that's allowed. Um, Um, I don't, uh, I'm I'm pretty sure it's bollocks anyway, but we'll see. But um, yeah, yeah, but I think uh, just the fact that he's kind of there and in situ now might give the players a bit of a kick up the arse and be like, the guy, the, the new manager is watching us pretty closely already. We need to perform for him and we need to finish this season on a high and, uh, you know, consign it to the dustbin of history and never think of it again. So that's probably going to be their the motivation. And we've seen in in previous years when United have had to get a result on the last day to, to finish top four and stuff like that, that they've got it. You know, they beat Leicester a couple of years ago on the last day of the season away from home and stuff like that. So True. I, would, I would fancy them to do it, but... Uh, 
yeah, it could be a bit of a twist on the last day. We'll see. If Ted Hogg isn't in charge, which, yeah, this is probably here saying he's not going to be, I'd love to mm. see him in the away end. <laughs> just just yeah. taking in opinions, you know, there with like, like a clipboard, taking survey <laughs> from the United fans. Yeah. <laughs> it would be amazing. <laughs> It'd be like that that when Mike Ashley was in the away fans in Newcastle, just seeing off a pint. Drinking a pint, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Uh, This leaves the relegation fight then in the Premier League. We've touched on Burnley's defeat. um, And if you couple that with Leeds' last-minute point versus Brighton, Mike Jackson and his team are in a bit of trouble. But they do have a game in hand at Aston Villa before facing Newcastle at Turf Moor on Sunday. How many points do you think you'll get from they'll get from these two? Or will it be enough? Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because I've it's it's kind of changing hands. The uh, the crisis club at the bottom every every mm. few minutes, isn't it? It feels like um, Burnley having that game in hand at home to Villa. Um, I mean, again, that's a that's it's going to be interesting to see how Villa perform in this game because obviously they've got City away in the last game of the season. Their season has, has petered out, you know in recent weeks and and they, they look like they don't have an awful lot left in the tank. So, you know, Burnley need to win this game really to have any any chance you would imagine. Um, so I would fancy Burnley to beat Villa, which would put them on 37 points, which which would put them... Uh, uh, Everton play... Ahead of Leeds. Yeah, Everton play... Who do they play on Thursday? Um, uh, they got Crystal, Crystal Palace. Palace that's right. Yeah. So Everton, if we, if they beat Crystal Palace, which I would imagine will happen, that's Everton safe, isn't it? Then, so it leaves mm. it leaves Burnley and Villa, uh, Burnley and Leeds, sorry, to go down for the the last game of the season. I'd imagine Burnley will beat Villa. That would put them above Leeds, and then it's the last game. Yeah, yeah, time. yeah. I I still fancy Leeds to go down. I think. Out of those, yeah, I, I really have not seen enough from them recently mm. to even suggest that they could get get a point on the final mm. day. I think they'd be really poor because it's just um, in, it's it's in Burnley's hands, isn't it? And, it, and even though it looks yeah. like they've kind of like maybe cashed all the chips in recent weeks, I do think they might just have enough to get. They probably need four points, don't they, from those two games? I th- I've got a feeling they might do it. I saw. Um, we were talking last week about Mike Jackson not being Michael Jackson. He doesn't want that reference. <laughs> there was a fantastic tweet I saw from somebody. There was a quote from from Mike Jackson that said, it definitely wasn't a penalty in the Burnley game. And uh, someone replied going, but he also said that Billy Jean wasn't his lover. So what, are we, what does he know? <laughs> who, who can we believe? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, very honestly, good. it had me roll on the floor. I thought that's very good. That's probably one who wants to be named Mike. <laughs> he doesn't want all this nonsense all the time. Yeah. Um, Leeds point versus Brighton, though, the last minute. I think it would look good as a mid-season game. Brighton are quite good. They've managed to, you know, get a draw from it. But as a second from last season game, when they desperately need all three points to stay away from relegation, did they really do enough in front of their home crowd? No, I don't think so. I mean, it looks like a good point. Uh you know, it's better than no points, obviously. Um, yeah. But this again, it was a must-win game for them. Really, a draw, a draw is not really enough for them. You would think that they needed to, to get a win here, and it was earmarked as a, as, as a game where they, they could and probably should be winning. You know, as, as decent as Brighton can be, you would look at a game like that as one where you probably should be winning. Really, so I think it's it's a real problem for them. I think they're, you know they're looking at the, the season and thinking. Would it have been any different if Bielsa had stayed? You know, the performances haven't been, been great under Jesse March and mm. it looks like they're just kind of almost just sort of slumping out of the season now, which is which is a bit of a shame, but it goes down to the last day for them. They've got 
Arsenal away. Is that right? Or am I? Am I is that? Is that? No, Everton. Everton. Yeah, away. yeah. So, um, it's not looking good for Leeds. Brentford away. Yeah, Brentford away. That's that's yeah. tough. Brentford have obviously had a very good season. Um, they've been decent at home. Um, and I, it, it's hard to imagine Leeds getting a result there, getting a win for sure. So that that's why I, I think Leeds are probably going down, and it's it's a bit of a shame. Yeah, a talk of Brentford actually, a three-two victory over Everton, who are fighting for survival, but could be clear if they beat Palace on Thursday, like we mm-hmm. mentioned. Um, but what on earth were Frank Lampard's team doing against <laughs> Brentford? I, I, I've never seen like those, those were two red cards. Yeah, Braithwaite shouldn't have been in that position in the first place, and the second one from Rondon, honestly, it looked farcical at times. Yeah, the the Branthwaite one was unfortunate, wasn't it? He's a young lad, and he, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of an annoyance because I don't think Tony was sort of scoring from that position, but he was the last man, and he he's got to go, unfortunately. And then yeah, to bring Rondon on, who's you know brought in by by Benitez last year, supposed to be this experienced player who would who would get them some goals. He's Barely got them any, if any, goals, I don't think. And he comes on and, and gets sent off with that ridiculous tackle, you know, one of the most obvious red cards you, you're ever going to see and, mm. and really harms them. And, you know, for them to go one up in that game and, and and they were looking pretty good prior to the first red card and then it really changed the game for them and they they, they weren't able to to get the rhythm going after that and um, fell behind uh, to two quick-fire goals it was uh, it was a bit of a clusterfuck for them overall, wasn't it? I think, and that they were a bit fortunate, not fortunate because they, they sort of made their own uh, look, I guess you would say. But mm. that they are, they, they do still have this this chance against Palace now to save themselves because because uh, this was this was really sort of immature game management from the you would say. I mean, they had twenty seven percent possession at home mm. in a relegation fight. Um, I'm going to file that under the not good enough folder. <laughs> Uh, does does this suggest that Everton aren't not only getting poor results, but they're not even going about it in the right way either? Because I, I find it hard to believe Lampard's setting up at home to Brentford, saying, "Right, lads, we're going to have absolutely none of the ball, mm. um, and we'll just hit them on the counter." Well, I, th- I think the, the possession was probably largely down to the fact they played with ten men for so long, wasn't it? And then played with nine men for the for the, for the last bit of the game. Mm. That, that that affected them. They had to dig in and try and try and protect what they had at one point and. Um, it, it, it was difficult for them to do so. I think Everton fans are a bit miffed about a couple of decisions going against them in this game as well. There was some there was some shirt pulling from um, Christopher Ayer, I think it was, wasn't it? Um, in the build up mm. to the red card, the first red card, um, and I think the explanation was that it looked from the referee's vantage point that both players were pulling each other's shirts, which I don't think was the case. I think it was just the uh, the Brentford player doing it. And then I think the penalty that Everton got in the second half, a lot of people were wondering. Um, or was it the first half? I can't remember. But whenever it was, a lot of people were wondering why the why the uh, the Brentford player wasn't shown a second yellow for that. And I don't think it was a second yellow personally, but I can I can kind of understand the grievance a little bit. So yeah. um, I think it was just one of those games where nothing kind of went right for Everton. Um, unfairly or, or fairly is a matter of opinion, really. But it just, the game plan was kind of thrown off kilter by the red card, really, and... You know, I don't. I don't think Frank Lampard is an amazing tactician. I don't think he's a great manager, but I think he's done a, an okayish job with Everton in recent weeks and in, in getting them into this position and giving them a chance of survival. And if they stay up, I think you would have to say it was a job well done from him. But um, next season is going to be tricky for them if they do stay up because I, I think I think then over the course of a whole season, Lampard's flaws are going to be exposed a lot more. Yeah, especially if they lose a couple of players as well. Mm. There's a couple of exciting players that will probably. 
probably be looking to get out mm. of there and not really face another season of a relegation battle. Um, there were a few other games at the weekend to to sort of mention. We mentioned that that Molyneux stunning one all draw between Wolves and Norwich. Uh, there was also a one all between Villa and Palace. I liked Wilfred Sahar winding up the home crowd. <laughs> yeah, I saw a bit of that. It was yeah. amazing. Oh, so good. Uh, there was also Watford being humiliated yet again with a 5-1 home loss to Leicester. Um, an unbelievable stat that it was their 15th defeat in 19 home games which I think is a record maybe <laughs> a joint record imagine going to watch Watford 19 times in the home yeah and 15 of those times they lose <laughs> I just like, like I've written here the end of term report card says do better next time yeah do a lot better next time and yeah. and and Norwich, if they win, which obviously I'm not hoping for, uh, if Norwich win, Watford could still finish bottom. Yeah. We've been laughing about Norwich being the basement boys and the worst team in the league, um, but they could actually finish 19th and Watford could bow out of the Premier League rather disgracefully. Um, and talking of bowing out from the Premier League, who are their replacements? Well, we now know that the playoff final will be between Huddersfield and Notts Forest, uh, who beat Sheffield United in penalties last night. I think I know the answer to this, Dan, as I assume most of the country have the same answer. But who would you like to see come up out of those two? Yeah, it feels really snide on Huddersfield to say this, but definitely yeah, Nottingham Forest. I mean, I, I said on the podcast last week that I've always had a bit of a soft spot for Nottingham Forest. You know, they're this, a great uh, historic club, you know, a bit of a sleeping giant, you might say. It'd be good to see them back in the, back in the top flight because it's been so long since they, since they were there. We had Huddersfield quite recently. They They weren't very good last time and, you know, just it was just a bit boring, and and it would be a bit boring to see them back in the top flight again. I think uh, is it, is it Corberan that their coach Carlos Corberan's done a really mm. good job to get them into this position, and and if they come up, if they if they better not Suarez in the playoff final, then then fair play and good luck to them. But but my personal preference would be would be not Suarez a little less so after seeing that bloke headbutting Billy Sharp after the game when oh, running on the pitch. God, that was yeah. disgusting. Like, and you kind of think, and I know he's not representative all not Nottingham Forest fans. Not by any stretch of the imagination, but like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> I think that sums it up perfectly. Yeah. I watched the video, I was like, that is more than just like pushing someone. That's assault. Yeah. I think he has been arrested. Billy Sharp's a really nice bloke as well, by all accounts, yeah, and yeah, was yeah. just minding his own business. And yeah, it's just a horrible thing to do that, yeah. Yeah, bloody hell. Um, as for Knott's Forest, though, if if they go up, if your dreams come true, Dan. Um, is it a worry when teams like this rely heavily on loan players? I know they've got some quality players, especially from the academy in the squad, um, but with Zinkenagel, Garner and Spence all returning to their parent clubs, or in the case of Spence probably being sold on to another mm. club, um, they are losing three of their more important players. Is that a bit of a worry? It is a worry, yeah. The, the, the only hope is that, I don't know, maybe they can negotiate another loan deal for, for Ghana, perhaps. Uh, yeah, like I said, like you said, I think, I think Spence will be sold this summer and I don't think, I don't think he'll be sold to Nottingham Forest. It is a, it is a problem when you, your loan players in like this because they have to be replaced at the end of the season. Uh, you know, even if you buy them permanently, that's eaten into your, your budget quite significantly and they're going to have to strengthen the squad as well. So, um, I don't know what what the what they're going to do really. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a problem having to, to having to, to 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 replace those players for a start, you know, and then having to to build on your squad is going to be going to be tough for them. So I don't think it's something they should be worrying about too much at this moment in time. And you'd be interested yeah. to see what kind of budget they've got to play with if they do come up. But you know, all credit to them. I think Steve Cooper's done a magnificent job. You know, considering the start they made to the season under Chris Hewton, looked like they were going down to League One at one point for them to be in the playoff final now and. Um, looking forward to potentially being back in the Premier League is an incredible turnaround. Yeah, it's been a ridiculous fall, yeah. especially in the FA Cup as well. Looking out and Arsenal, they play lovely football as well, yeah, which is yeah, exactly. really nice to they, watch. Yeah. 
they knocked out Huddersfield in the FA Cup too before losing Liverpool. Mm. Some might say pulling up trees. Yeah, <laughs> tricky trees. <laughs> yeah, I think we'll end on that terrible pun. Uh, of course, I think that is next Sunday, the Champions League and Championship Player Final. Equally important, mm. same weekend. Yeah. Stunning, stunning weekend of football. Uh, yeah, but that's all from me for today and from Dan as well. So thank you so much for joining me. Of course, you can get involved in the conversation by emailing us. The address is podcast at onefootball.com or tweeting us at onefootball or myself at Matt underscore Froelich. That is all we have time for this week, though. Uh, thank you, as always, for listening. We'll be back again next week. Uh, Dan, should we do a big roundup of the Premier League? Let's season? bloody do it, yeah. <laughs> I think that'll be the case. We'll go through all 20 teams, top to bottom, and look at uh, what the summer and beyond holds for all of them. But yeah, until then, enjoy the week, and we will see you guys next time.